0: Welcome to CPF Firewire, a podcast from California Professional Firefighters, where we discuss a wide range of issues affecting firefighters, our unions, our families, and the communities we serve.
1: Hello, and welcome to the CPF Firewire. I'm Brian Rice, and I'm the president of the California Professional Firefighters. Every year in California, we face ever-increasing threats from catastrophic wildfire, flooding, always the possibility um, of a major earthquake and um, now pandemics. And the COVID-19 pandemic has only heightened the importance of crisis response uh, in California. And California has got an unmatched mutual aid system. And in the middle of these various challenges is the governor's office of emergency services, what we know as Cal OES, or what many of us just refer to as OES. And many of the special operations that were pioneered in California came by way of OES and have gone on to become national models. Um, This includes uh, specialized USAR task forces and um, our flood response. Many of you, uh, if you work in an all-risk fire department in the state of California, you have been involved in some type of a um, OES mutual aid response. I feel very comfortable in saying that. And today I'm really pleased to um, welcome our friend, and, and colleague, Mark Gilarducci, the director of Cal OES, and Director Gillarducci has spent over 30 years in emergency management at the state and national level. Uh, in particular, he was one of the people who helped invent the California, or excuse me, the USAR task force model and implement it not just in California, but throughout the country. Um, director Gillarducci has been, and we'll, we'll talk about it, he, he's we, we're all firefighters and emergency service workers. We never want to say that we've seen it all, but I, I think on major incidents that affect not only the state of California, but this nation, um, Mark has seen more than most. So with that, Director Giladucci, um, welcome to the CPF Fireware.
2: Thanks, Brian, and great to be with you today and, and uh, appreciate you giving me the opportunity to spend some time with you.
1: Mark, you've been involved in disaster response at the state and federal level since the '80s. How you know? How did you know? How did you become not just interested, but kind of just? How did your career path progress? How how'd you get here?
2: Well, that's a great question. I, I, uh, you know, it is. It really has been a journey. Um, uh, Or as a a young youngster, um, probably like many in the fire service, um, I was. I was you know, intrigued through shows like emergency and, uh, and, um, you know, I since I had a sense of public service early on through scouting, um, mm-hmm. went through the ranks of scouting and, and, and all. And, uh, and then, um, really, really, I was very much an outdoors person. I, I spent a lot of time climbing and hiking and I was in the backcountry most of my weekends, um, uh, very much outdoors. And so I, I really gravitated towards the, Whole concept of of, uh, of uh, search and rescue and um, predominantly mountain rescue, and so really started to hone skills with regards to uh, using all of the, the the techniques and and procedures and things that they use in mountain rescue operations. And uh, spent time working in Yosemite National Park in the summers as part of the technical rescue uh, operations there and, and in the backcountry. Um, and the, all of that was just you know I was just um, kind of just taken by the fact that, you know, you could use all of these capabilities to be able to do these complex rescues that took place. At The same time I, I started to get involved with uh, local fire and, and, uh, and I was very intrigued by the whole heavy rescue program that was taking place at the time. There was a kind of a mentor uh, that um, uh, many of us had, uh, Jim Mendoza out of uh, uh, Tuolumne County and, and Columbia college, who's leading a lot of the, the heavy rescue stuff. But, much of the heavy rescue, um, uh, components and techniques that were being utilized were really being pulled from the, from the wilderness, um, um, mountain rescue community using all of the ropes and the systems and the, all of that, all being transferred that information technology, uh, into, um, into the fire service. And and then I went to, to medic school and, and, and uh, a long time ago, 70, 1978, uh, in Los Angeles and, and, um and spent time working, um, you know, between there and and up in the Bay area in, in, um, both search and rescue and local fire and local EMS. Um, and then, um, I was actually gonna, uh, I went to university of California Davis and I was on my way to med school and I had been so much involved with this, uh, kind of what we called, before it was called special operations, but really was mm-hmm. sort of special operations of dealing with these unique things. Um, I was reached out to by folks at the state um, who um, who reached out to me and, and and kind of were following my background and asked if I'd be interested in coming on board uh, to help them design and develop uh, a specialized capability that the state of California did not have. And that was this, this ability to have a, a, a multifunctional, uh, capability to respond to structural collapse. Um, we had just had the eighty-five Mexico City earthquake, and uh, I remember that. As you re- remember, it was a devastating quake. We had sent down some resources from California, fire, mutual aid. Uh, mostly, these were folks that were they weren't called urban search and rescue that those right. days because the term didn't exist. But uh, they were folks that did that took those heavy rescue skills, which were predominantly used in. Um, vehicle accidents and over the side rescues and, 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 you know, they had cribbing and they had uh, they had, uh, you know, ropes and and pry bars and they, they went down there and, and tried to help save lives. And we, re- I think the folks at the time here at OES recognized that we were in uh, line for some major earthquake like that, that was going to happen in California and we just weren't prepared. We did not have the capacity to deal with it. And so they asked if I would be interested in coming on board to design uh, research and design and, and, and build out um, uh, a capability, which would, which would be something that, um, you know, would be novel to the state of California and it would build on the heavy rescue programs that existed currently in the state. And, um, and so, you know, I deferred uh, going to med school uh, to jump on this. It was very interesting to me and, um, you Wait, know, Hold on,
1: hold uh, on there. You you were on the track to go to medical school. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. I I did not know that.
2: Yeah. Wow. And, uh, and, uh, I actually even interviewed at medical colleges and I just deferred and, uh, and decided, uh, this is so cool. I, I want to do that. And, and, uh, and, you know, they thought it would be, you know, a couple of years or a year or something. So I deferred, mm-hmm. uh, for at least a year you give your, you're allowed two deferments before you got to make a decision. And, uh, uh, just within the first year I, I was hooked and never looked back. Uh, and, uh, since then, I you know I've I've uh, I was with, been in the state of California many years, but I did leave for some period of time. I went to the federal government for five years uh, at FEMA as a at the time the, a new congressionally uh, appropriated program called the Federal Coordinating Officer. Um, it's a presidential appointee, and, and what the Federal Coordinating Officers do is they manage the the, the federal disaster uh, on on behalf of the White House, and so. I took that on. It was a cool job. And and, uh, I learned a ton about, you know, the federal system. I did that for five years and then came back um, here to OES. And uh, as the as the chief deputy director, uh, working uh, uh, quite an honor to work with uh, somebody who, you know, well, uh, Mr. Dallas Jones, who uh, was once the secretary treasurer for CPF and became the director of OES and is a good friend. And so Dallas and I had the opportunity to work together to shape some of OES activities, and then, um, and, uh, which carried us through like 9 11 and stuff. And then I, and then right. I left the uh, state government for about 12 years. I went to the private sector and did uh, crisis management work all over the world um, uh, for the State Department and for all different kinds of other uh, entities, which was fascinating and a learning experience. And then came back here in uh, 2012 as the director under Governor Brown. So it's been uh, it's been a, a phenomenal uh, journey and uh, one um, you know I was here at OES Fire Rescue as one of the chief officers for years and and uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, and leaving you know built the built the special operations program here and and you know part of that is the story that I think we'll talk about is particularly you know this whole concept of this urban search and rescue, and rescue. program and how we did it
1: yeah and I I would number one. Quite, quite a story. I, I mean, I knew that your depth of, of of involvement in in emergency services was pretty broad, um, but I didn't know that it it was that broad. Want to talk to you about USAR and the early days of USAR from kind of where where we started to where we are today? You and I both know that every, I mean, they were national incidents, but they were world uh, worldwide incidents. The Murrah Building in uh, Oklahoma City in uh, September 11th, um, I can't remember if it was a Skylab or a shuttle or a satellite that you know debris spread kind of over a wide swath of the US and it was the collection of that. We've had mudslides and you know you were kind of ground zero. talk tell us about how how you really kind of germinated and grew into into what it is today.
2: You know early on when when I took on this uh, assignment, um, I actually picked up and, and, and moved from, from Sacramento to, to Southern California uh, for this period of time because um, just because of the, the nature of the, um, the, uh, the concern is like the big concern was the big event, the big earthquake that was going to be hitting the Los Angeles basin. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, really wanted to focus in there. And so in '88, we began the process. I, I convened all these all these folks. I brought them all together, and and I, I wanted to know, learn from them about where were the challenges. What really could um, a, a more amplified program look like? But at the same time, I also started to research uh, internationally how how this you know what could a a, a very comprehensive, multifaceted. Uh, a technical rescue program look like. And, and we we, we researched programs in France, the French, the Brits, uh, the hmm. Swiss, uh, the Germans, all of them built programs that came out of World War II, where they had multiple bombings of buildings and they had to do, much like what we're seeing in Ukraine today, they're doing heavy rescue, heavy search and rescue, moving large debris to be able to rescue people. And they hone these Capabilities and at that time they were far ahead of the United States with regards to this this capability. So I I, I went there. I met with them. I brought them here. We we we, we built working groups um, uh, that, um, that that it, it, within the state that um, talked about what what would be the vision of this. And this was a multi pronged approach. It wouldn't was it wasn't going to be something that was going to be we're going to build one thing and it's a one and done? We had to look at this from how do we build a, a comprehensive capacity to be able to deal with the state our size? Right, we have earthquake mm-hmm. threats, and in the Bay Area and in, in LA, um, and down the state, uh, you know a, a better part of the state is, is earthquake prone. It's Cascadia subduction zone, and we you know we have terrorist threats. We have all different kinds of things, and so um, we 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 entered this this process of building uh, something that would start with these 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 technical. Um, uh, rescue teams. And what we learned from the Europeans was that we wanted to integrate um, uh, capabilities that didn't necessarily always work together. And what that means is that we wanted to bring in people like engineers, doctors, or paramedics, search dogs, hazmat capabilities, communication specialists, and pull them all together in a unified way with with rescue specialists that were from the fire service and the use of the incident command system, the way we manage incidents to build this multifaceted team. Now you can imagine in doing so, you know, you have, now now you've got all these stakeholder groups, right? You've got the the medicals and you've got the dogs, which are, by the way, at that time did not exist in the fire service. They, They were all volunteer and they were all on the wilderness rescue side. So we had this big initiative to train and cross train them and make them uh, use our dogs right and which is a whole nother sort of you know avenue on this whole thing and then um, and then you know bring all these folks together uh, in a comprehensive way build a training package around it build doctrine around it and be able to move that forward and so we we built out this this plan uh, for these teams but the larger strategy included not just the teams but also to ultimately enhance regional, USAR capacity right. throughout the state, right? Um, part of that included taking the OES mutual aid engines, uh, getting them all to a type three level. So we had to build typing in through FireScope and the, the typing standards. So we now have a type one through through uh, four USAR typing. And you know we were able to then take that typing and build different levels of training and capability. And that's where the regional task forces, the regional mm-hmm. Rig, you talked about a minute ago, Brian, was able to achieve a type one status. What the idea is is that, you know, we have these teams, these specialized teams, but they're not going to be uh, far and enough. And so, by being able to have all these individual capabilities by typed resources throughout the state, that on a day to day basis, they're responding to their call volume. But we could pull them together through the mutual aid system and create task forces. At the time, it basically is a force multiplier. We go from eight task forces that we have now to twenty task forces if we need to. We can uh, we can dial it up or dial it down as we need to. Now, at the same time, there there were some other capabilities that were being developed in the in the country. Fairfax County Fire was uh, in Virginia was was building a capacity with the State Department uh, and the Office of Foreign Disaster Assistance. Metro Dade uh, Fire and Rescue in in Florida was doing that. And of course, New York City um, uh, with with Ray Downey and that team there in in Rescue 3 was really building out uh, some of the capacities of really some innovative ways of using heavy rescue to be able to do building collapse. Because in New York, they were just having buildings fall down for no reason. They just would fall down, you know. So they would would go in and and rescue these folks. So we took all that and we built out... um, um, uh, you know, through all this effort, we've, I built, I wrote a plan and, and a, a program that went up on the governor's desk to be funded. And at the time, it was Governor George Duke Um was, uh, it sat up there for a while. But a, a, a key event, a couple of key events happened. Um, at the First, uh, there were hurricanes that hit the the uh, East Coast, one was Hurricane Andrew, and, and it and it literally decimated the, the community of Homestead, Florida. And it was a very that. devastating hurricane. And then Hurricane Hugo followed that in the North Carolina, the Carolinas. Both of them had dismal response operations, not just at the – I mean, the locals did the best they possibly could. The federal government and FEMA was just not existent at the time. And they were still caught up in a, a post-World War II, Cold War era emergency management construct, and and they just weren't there. And then, and then so we watched all that happen, and then we saw an event that happened here in California. It was the um, uh, Loma Prieta earthquake. And if you remember, Loma Prieta earthquake how it was devastating to the Bay Area, it collapsed the I-80 uh, Cypress structure, structure, came yeah. down, um, and uh, part of the Bay Bridge, and we had fires in the marina, and it collapsed a, a better part of downtown Santa Cruz. That immediately propelled us into the need to take the concepts that we had and start to bring them together. And that part of the concept was that concept of bringing together regional capability. So we started to identify, mm-hmm. we'd already done this, but identify all the regional um, heavy rescue c- crews and bring them together in a task force format to be able to respond to the cyber structure clash. We brought in people like Mendoza and others to go there to the site and and work with Oakland Fire Department. I spent days down on the scene, uh, working with them uh, on how to get those people out of that very complex uh, uh, situation. The next morning, the governor signed the the budget and put that USAR program into place. And so we started off in California with $2.2 million to get this program going. Only place in the country that actually had a program. And to do that program, I had identified through this these working groups and our capabilities. I had identified identified and handpicked the eight teams that we currently have today. So Sacramento, Oakland, Menlo Park, Oak, uh, uh, LA City, LA County, Orange County, and San Diego and Riverside. Right. So, and those teams were picked strategically, located in uh, based upon where the earthquake threats were the greatest. Um, based upon how one could um, support the other, how we could move them rapidly. Uh, And they were built at the time with um, the capability to load their equipment onto military aircraft. They met all the requirements and standards. We built training around it. And of course, we had to identify, all of us had to come in and bring resources to the table to formalize these teams. So that was in 89. So between Mm 89 89, and, uh, 91, um, we were, we, we were building this capacity in California and, uh, um, we were using the money that we got and, and, uh, it was, a it was exciting because we were now, we were now taking a European model. We were, we were building that capacity. We were introducing new people to new people, the dogs, the docs, the, the engineers, and we're yeah. bringing them together with fire service people. And, um, and then, uh, uh Congress held, Hearings uh, on the response, predominantly to Hurricane Hugo and Andrew, but also included Loma Prieta earthquake, and they they pretty much lambasted FEMA pretty bad about the fact that they did not have a national capacity to deal with these kinds of events, and so they directed FEMA to go and build a program that then turned FEMA into coming to meet with us, and uh, and also members of Congress and members of Office of Management and Budget came and met with us here at at, at uh, Cal OES and. Um, They loved the program that we were, we were building and, and, and took that. Um, They also met with Fairfax. They also met with Metro Dave, And uh, then they, they held a big forum in uh, late 91. And, um, and uh, it was the kickoff of the national urban search and rescue response system. We came up with the name urban search and rescue. Uh, We wanted to have it different than wilderness search and rescue, but in in essence, that's, that's how it was. As we identified it, these were the special forces of the fire service, right? These are the folks that actually, you know, go in and do these complex operations. The federal government provided granting uh, across the country. By by the way, it was just the same amount of money that California had. So for 25 teams in the country, they had about 2 million bucks. Now it's all changed and, and right. they're well-funded. But at the time, that's how they started the program. And California was a huge uh, leader and, and advisor in that. I ended up, was appointed as a senior member to the National Advisory Board. I sat on that board for 10 years. You may wonder, why does California have eight USAR task forces that are nationally recognized and the rest of the country has either one or now maybe there's a couple that have two? And that is because those eight teams had already been grandfathered in. Those were the eight teams we already had in place prior to. Um, and and the, the concept behind this, this is really important, I think, Brian, for me to talk about, the concept behind our system was that It was locally built, Mm -hmm. state-supported, federally deployed, right? So, so, you know, the first and foremost thing, why would a city manager or county board of supervisors or whatever want to engage into this national program? What were they going to get for it? Well, first of all, they built a capacity that didn't necessarily exist normally. They get state and federal dollars. They they get they they build their capacity. They build relationships. So um, first of all, they have now uh, an enhanced local capacity. Secondly, from a state perspective, we now have to meet that strategy I was talking about: regional capacity and the ability to move these assets throughout the state as part of the state's mutual aid system. Right, and then thirdly, FEMA when they need to call on them, basically outside of funding. They, they they were able to call these these folks, and we can move these task forces throughout the United States as necessary. They were originally designed for earthquake. Over mm-hmm. the years, they've evolved into hurricane response and many other things that you mentioned. And um, uh, the first deployment ever of this national system was in 1992 for Hurricane Iniki that hit uh, the Hawaiian Islands. Hawaiian Islands, Islands yes. Uh, Yep, I was the uh, the uh, the team lead on that, and and we we deployed uh, L.A. County Fire and um, and Menlo Park uh, task forces, uh, uh, task force three, I think it is in Menlo Park, and and uh, task force uh, I think L.A. County's two, I can't remember, I thought my head, but anyway, we deployed them um, uh, to uh, uh, Hawaii, and uh, and that was the first of the deployment. That was early in '92. Uh, and then, of course, in um, the summer of 92, and then in in 95, um, well, and then shortly after that, we had the, the Northridge earthquake hit Los That's Angeles. Right. And, and the system as designed played out. All of that capability that existed deployed to respond to their own needs. LA City, LA County, Orange County, they all responded to meet their needs. We then amplified those response with all the other task forces that we had within the state, and we actually brought in a couple of outside task forces. So, the so the design of being able to build that capacity and respond worked very very well. And um, and so that was in '92. Um, uh, it, it was a proof positive that the program was was where it needed to be. And uh, and then of course in '95, um, when we had the low, the Oklahoma City bombing, um, we deployed for that. I was. Again, one of the first uh, folks on the scene, and ended up being designated the uh, the incident commander for um, for the whole USAR operation at the, at the national level. And so we ended up moving. I think it was eleven or twelve USAR task forces. The first major deployment of task forces, and it was a very complex situation. But it, it gave us again that it, it, it was a it sort of the proof of, of, of test of the system. Are, did we are, did the tools work? Did we have the right make the makeup? Is it all working well? And and of course, I think that uh, you know history shows that that was just a phenomenal uh, uh, operation. The teams just did a phenomenal job. But since then, of course, they had you know nine eleven and the towers collapse, and and they've had multiple other kinds of um, of uh, a lot of tornado events and, mm-hmm. um, and and hurricane events. They responded to um, along that way, Brian. Um, we also recognized that uh, California um, needed to take what was a essentially a very unstandard uh, approach to swiftwater flood rescue, yeah. and um, and build a a much like we did with the USAR program. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we had taken the the typing, we had put it into the field operation co- guide under the 120-1 guidelines, uh, which outlined how we would operate uh, in the state. And then we uh, did the same thing for Swiftwater and Flood Rescue. We, we had working groups come together, another, another program I, I put together uh, and funded at the state level, working with people like Jim Sagerstrom from Rescue 3 and, and uh, Larry Collins from LA County Fire and so many more uh, folks that came to the table um, and um, basically built uh, this phenomenal thing. So it used to be that you, know, you see our Swiftwater Flood Rescue teams now, man. They are decked out. They have all the right PPE. They're they're professionals. They know how to do it. That was never the case before. It was a maybe a life jacket, or you know, if you're lucky, you had a life jacket and there were firefighters that drowned trying to rescue people. And it was just right right
1: here in Sacramento.
2: We did. I remember that. Yes. Yes, that's right. I'll tell you,
1: Um, Mark, just this history lesson. As I sit here and, and think, you know, as you were kicking this off, I was I was a young firefighter, just just starting out. Our tools. Were Hearst, cutter and spreaders a K twelve hundred and whatever whatever pry bars we have had, and then our own ingenuity. When we got hired, we were put on the line, and then um, after several months of line work, we went to the Sacramento City Drill Tower. The night we were supposed to report to the Drill Tower in eighty six, remember the major floods in Sacramento in eighty six? I I do. And so here's I'm going to go to. Our swiftwater rescue. We were given wetsuits that were two-piece and about six mil. Bring your own tennis shoes. I remember um, wading through apartment complexes, carrying people out um, to dry land, and you just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I remember specifically a couple of firefighters detailed in a pickup truck to patrol the levee looking for boils. That was the sum total of our. That was our swiftwater rescue. If you, if you had a wetsuit, you were in the water. And if you didn't, you may have been in the water anyway. And um, <laughs> we didn't have anything. And na- now I look back because um, kind of towards the end of my career and as a rescue captain, I was never a boat operator. But yes, went to the swiftwater water classes and, and um, uh, boat operator classes. But to watch how we have evolved in that to what I believe is um, a premier operation in in swift water response. When I sit here and look at it, those things developed in less than a decade. And it was so rapid. And I think most of us on the job, Mark, I'll just speak for the members I represent. Most of us didn't realize how central you were to that. I didn't know that. And I I probably know you as well as many. And um, so that kind of brings me to this. What do you see, you know, on the horizon for, for USAR? Um, we've just been through the pandemic. We know the things that work. We know the the response capabilities. What do you see in the future for our USAR task forces?
2: That's a good question. I um, well, let me, Before I answer that, let me say on, on my piece, I, you know, I always saw my role here as being one to work to bring the whole, you know, using the the power of this office to bring everybody together and to support and provide vision and, 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 uh, uh, make things happen. So, um, it's not about me or our OES it's about our capacity in, in, in California to deal with these, these events and wanting firefighters to have all the resources that they possibly needed and be as, um, relevant and cutting edge as possible. So I think we, we, we've we gotten there and we're continuing mm-hmm. to get there and it, and it plays into where USAR is going. Uh, you know, um, the USAR program has changed a lot. Um, you know, I, 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 when I became the director here, I'm still tangentially engaged, but not as what I was when was more hands on. Um, I think we have to remember that, uh, that our USAR program is, is not, is beyond the eight, designated national teams. It's the regional USAR capacity for everything that I talked about earlier and why that's so critical to the state of California. Um, it is the ability to uh, broaden that that capacity and build it into our response plans and um, build additional uh, uh, partnerships because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know right. how big of an event we're going to see. And, and we need the um, you know we need force multipliers to be able to address that. I also need think it's important to understand that with climate change happening, we are seeing extreme climate driven disasters more frequently today. Extreme tornado and hurricane operations take place at the same exact time that we're seeing extreme wildfire operations. Now, it used to be more seasonal, right? We would be sort of out of wildfire season when hurricane season was happening i mean there was a it was a time where and the hurricanes as bad as they were were always still manageable with the resources that were there now it's the point where there's a call for all resources all the time and we have to step back a second and think about that california during wildfires you know we were for first and foremost is our ability to respond to the needs of california it's very difficult for me to um support sending teams out uh, a five hundred or a thousand USAR folks out to a hurricane. When I'm asking for resources from Australia and Canada to fight wildfires, that said, we are also using USAR capabilities in a way we've never had in wildfire response and yes. recovery. You know, we we moved USAR teams up to the Paradise Campfire. Uh, we've moved them up into Berry Creek during the fire there. Um, the search and rescue that needs to take place that systematic, sophisticated capability yes. that the USAR teams bring to the table have been utilized to go in and and, and help um, identify victims that are caught up in the wildfire and be able to get them out. Many of that requires technical equipment and things to cut and break and uh, and and get down to where these victims are. And, and that is hugely helpful um, and so critical for us to be able to Close these incidents and, and uh, address the total number of fatalities and things. And then I also think that um, the use of uh, of technology, um, um, you know, more sophisticated ways to more rapidly identify people that are collapsing buildings where they're actually at, so that the the USAR teams can target um, their effort and and it basically buy down the time it takes from from search and i and identification to actually retrieving that person, right, thereby hopefully saving more lives uh, in these events. Um, And then lastly, I think that we have to understand that when we do get the big earthquake here, um, whether it's in the Bay Area or in Los Angeles Basin, there's going to be a lot of work to go around. There's going to be a lot of prioritization that needs to take place. And we're going to all have to be working and rowing in the same direction to be able to effectively get those teams in place and, and saving people as much as we possibly can.
1: I, You know, you brought something up and and um, I hadn't really put a lot of thought into it, but I think we across the state are probably, um, we probably need to. And, and that was the regionalization. The fact that we've got these regional teams that can respond into, I mean, I think we all know that, but we don't necessarily always think in that manner. We always think we have eight teams, do this, we do that, we, you know, we do this, but we actually have a broader satellite network in this state that's that's up and prepared to go to these things in the wildfire season and demand on USAR and demand on firefighters. We saw we've seen some critical times in the last couple of years, and it, it you know at, at a time or two I was not necessarily in the middle but in the fringe. Temp, um tempers were high, but I think we're finding ourselves in a spot in California, and you, and you brought it up our wildfire and hurricane seasons have collided head on. It's a difficult spot to protect the state and maintain that protection. I mean, firefighters, they want to, we want to go to everything. If it's happening, I mean, honestly, by nature of our, our personalities, our job our training, if it's happening, we want to be there. And I think now as we mature in this area, it's, it's, it's bound on us as California firefighters and emergency service responders We've got to broaden our thinking from checkers to chess. We're already, we're coming into a spot in, in, in May through November, we have our things that we have to pay attention to, but it's almost like every firefighter in the state pay attention to what's going on in the hurricane zone and into these other areas and, and do that same strategic thinking, you know, because, you know, quite frankly, we, we have a huge state to protect and a huge population to protect and the wildfire danger is, um, it's different than a hurricane. And, and in a way, there's a part of me that goes, it's a lot more treacherous. You know, a weather pattern can move in and move out. You don't have any control over a wildfire, where it goes, when it goes, how it goes. It's weather driven. And I think for us as, as firefighters and emergency responders, we need to start employing a chess uh, mentality on on our response it's not just about this county or that county you know if we got a county that's involved in in a region we all need to pay attention to the entire state and be sensitive to you know where our needs are where the needs could come next and i thought just listening to you on that that really that really geared me into um, a way of thinking that that I think we need to mature.
2: Couldn't agree with you more. Um, and I and I think that's a lot of what we do here uh, at the State Operations Center. We have these multiple events going on. You know, it's not uncommon where we have, you know, multiple fires. And we've got, uh, you know, in 2020, we had the COVID response going statewide. We had statewide civil unrest happening. We had at least 18 fires burning at the same time. Several of them were catastrophic wildfires that were burning communities down. Uh, We had a a domestic uh, terrorist event happening in the Santa Cruz mountains. There was a lot going on at the same time. And so you have to, that's where the chessboard comes in, right? That's where you have to be able to effectively do it. And when you're on the ground and ready to respond, you don't necessarily have sense of what the larger chessboard looks like. And and that's, that's, that's why we're here California. Look, we, we operate in a state of one of the most powerful, most sophisticated mutual aid systems in the world. Um, Our ability to do situational awareness and gather situational awareness, to take that intelligence and turn it into decision-making information um, is unlike any other place. And, you know, it is a nation state. So we're, we're, we're responding like we were a country. And so that Needs to be taken in. I am the first, first person that wants to send our people all over to help, um, but I also have to understand that we, you know it, it has to be strategic and it, and yeah. uh, and it has to be um, uh, taken into account when we have our own uh, issues. It can't leave the can't leave our state hanging out there, and we can't leave any of our local governments. And it's not just the state. The state and local governments were political subdivisions of each other, and we support each other every step of the way. And the USAR program was built. From day one, with the concept of of local, region, state, um, because it's built on the mutual aid system that we have, it was built around the concept of of that system. And so, um, you know, as time changes and people come and go, and retirements happen, sometimes they lose sight of that that whole piece of what the chessboard looks like and right. and, and how important that really is.
1: I want to ask you, as our OES director, in the course of your um, tenure so far, how many states of emergency have you been involved in, whether state or federal?
2: Wow, I that's a great question. Uh, uh, hundreds and hundreds of states of emergency. I mean, it's just uh, I can tell you since since 2015, 2013, 14, but mostly 15 on. We've seen dramatic increase in the number of states of emergencies. We've seen it. Concurrently, a dramatic increase in the number of federal major disaster declarations, right? So prior to 2013, we had maybe three major disaster declarations in the five years preceding. Since 2015, we've had something like 28 major disaster declarations, Okay, so major disasters are presidential disaster. is the highest level that we, we get. Then there's all the stuff in between. the states of mm-hmm. emergency. There's stuff that we don't get federal for um, responding to. We are a busy state, and we've seen everything. Yeah. We've seen major earthquakes. We've seen flooding. We've seen you know infrastructure collapse with the Oroville spillway. We've seen um, terrorists uh, terrorist activity. You know, uh, San Bernardino, uh, Santa Cruz. You know, we've seen wildfire, um, drought. We're in the drought now, which is precipitating, you know, additional wildfire yes. challenges. Um, and and you know, we've seen economic, and of course, we've seen the pandemic. I mean, we had a tsunami just a month ago hit the entire right. coast of California. You know, from from the from the event that happened in countries far away from here, mm-hmm. but, but they impact the state of California. And we have a cyber threat that's unbelievable right now that's going on. Um, because of the, the the geopolitical issues around the world, but the target is California. I mean, we spend a lot of time here doing lots of different things in that chessboard that you talk about, Brian. But we have to to take that all into consideration, and that's I want everybody to know listening to this that that all of this is going on. And look, anybody who wants to come up and embed with us for a while and do a uh, you know a couple of weeks here and and get a sense of what happens at OES and how we manage all this stuff. I'm always open for that, and and it gets you a better sense of of how we have to manage all these things.
1: Mark, um, I just want to thank you for your time, um, for joining us today. We could go on and on and on. And I think I speak for every firefighter in the state of California, both past, present, and future. This was a great learning experience for all of us and gives us a little bit better depth on all the things that are going on behind the scene, literally, to keep California safe. From natural disasters to man-made disasters um, and everything in between. Um, I just want to thank you for your time. Um, We we are going to do this again. We just can't cover it um, in one session. And we're coming up on fire season, Mark. I know that we'll be talking a lot. And I just I thank you for your time. Again, for everybody listening out there, Director Mark Ghilarducci, our director for the Governor's Office of Emergency Services. Mark, any parting words you want to add?
2: My only party words is to thank every firefighter member of the fire service listening to this. Um, we couldn't do it without you, uh, and every year we ask more and more of you. I'm, I, I couldn't be prouder of the California Fire Service, and um, you know, to be a member of that you know, that that crew to, to to work with you all. And so, thank you for what you're doing. Um, you're deeply appreciated.
1: To everybody out there, that is Director Mark Dillarducci, Governor's Office of Emergency Services. And uh, for CPF Firewire, until next time, I'm Brian Rice. And everybody, be careful out there. Thank you.
0: You can find CPF Firewire at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you find podcasts. Be sure to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. You can also find CPF Firewire at the CPF website, www.cpf.org, and on the CPF YouTube page. We're always interested in getting your feedback, comments, and criticism. Tell us what you'd like to hear about. Drop us a line, info at cpf.org. CPF Firewire is a production of California Professional Firefighters. Our producer is Carol Wills. Our engineer is Matt McDermott. Please join us next month for another edition of CPF Firewire.